This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Episode 20 of The Wheelhouse. We will refer to this, Jerry, as the no-hitter episode. Jerry, finally, and we've been doing this for 19 episodes, and finally, Jerry, the Mariners have thrown a no-hitter under a wheelhouse watch. It's about time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess James Paxson is kind of Johan Santana to the New York Mets. It <laughs> took us 19 episodes. It took them four decades. <laughs> uh, well, in all seriousness, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I am in my hotel room here in Toronto, just a pop fly away from Rogers Center. Jerry, you are much further away. You are in Little Rock, Arkansas, checking in on the Mariners AA affiliate. We're excited to learn more about uh, your visit coming up in a short while. But we'll be talking about your time in Arkansas. Also, of course, the historic moment by James Paxton not long ago. And uh, excited to talk about some resiliency of this ball club also that we saw on display in that come-from-behind win against the Angels. But first of all, Jerry, uh, I want to know your side of things how you learned about the no-hitter in progress as you are in Arkansas visiting the Travelers. Take me back through kind of when you were alerted and, and how you were following this whole thing. Take us behind the scenes a little bit. Well, it was a magical day here in Little Rock, Arkansas. We, we had, uh, obviously, the uh, I'm here to see the Travelers, our double-A club. And, and because we're in the central time zone here in Little Rock, we, we started our major league game, James game uh, in Toronto about an hour ahead of when the travelers were, were starting. So like any good baseball fan, I, I took my position in the stands a little early and I was watching on MLB TV uh, on my handheld. And, and I watched the first three innings uh, on MLB TV and looked great. I you had no idea where it was going to end up. And then at the end of the third inning, I, I switched over to game day and then started watching our double-A game, just kind of keeping track of, of our game in, in more game day fashion. And about the fifth, sixth inning, I'm, I'm sitting in the stands and uh, my game day app went wonky, which is not uncommon from time to time when you're sitting in the, the small ballparks. But uh, I was sitting alongside Chase DeYoung, who was uh, here with the, with the Travs, and and he held up his phone and had to be no hitter alert. The little red tag popped up. And at that time I decided to forego the last couple of innings of the Travs game and went up to the offices and, and threw it on the TV and, and watched the, the final three innings of, of James no hitter on the, on the monitor and here in the offices. And it, it was really fun. There's, you don't get too many opportunities like that. And, I echo the sentiments of his teammates that, that it could not happen to a better, more prepared, and more deserving guy. It's interesting because, Jerry, in, in my scorebook that night, after four innings, I actually wrote in my scorebook the words, no hits, and circled it. Because, I mean, he had walked three batters over the course of the third and the fourth, so there was some traffic on the base paths. And relative to his previous start, right where he struck out 16, and was just dominating from, as we've already discussed, from the very first pitch of the game. 
there, there was there were more guys on base. It didn't quite have the feel, at least early on, of a no-hitter, even though there technically were no hits. But I wrote that down just to remind myself when we would get back to the bottom of the fifth inning that should there be a hit by a Blue Jays batter, that even though there had been base runners, that that would in fact be the first hit. But to me, that's kind of what makes a no-hitter in James's case so interesting because he just kept getting better and better as the night progressed, as it sounds like you saw over the final three innings. I mean, especially in the velocity side of things, which I suppose for James is no surprise. Uh, but what did you make of kind of how he evolved throughout the course of that game, especially when it came to his curveball? Well, first, I think that's the best curveball he's had all year long. And uh, that may, in fact, be, you know, here we are approaching the middle of May, and that may be the first time that James has had all of his weapons. And and that comes on the heels of what was perhaps the most dominant start of at least the start that I've seen in his Mariners career 10 days ago against Oakland. But uh, he had all of his weapons working. The curveball got progressively better as the the outing progressed, which I thought was fantastic. And the, you know, the, the fastball velocity increasing as the game goes along, that is very much in line with James' normal behaviors. And uh, you know, oftentimes he feels his way into that first inning. He's got to sync up his delivery. And, you know, it, we had an outing a couple of uh, a couple of weeks back in Texas where there's 30-some-odd pitches in the first inning. And and sometimes you'll see James trying to find that, that rhythm, find that arm slot, and, and waiting to lock in. You know, on nights where he locks in quickly, he is going to mow through the opponent pretty quickly. I, I mean, it, it, it happens more routinely than not. But on those days where he has a tough time syncing up, it, it can sometimes be a wrestling match with his pitch count. And, you know, over these last two outings, how efficient he's been, just drilling strike one. But more importantly, three, four pitches a hitter, you know, get him, get him up, get him out and move on. That has been such a refreshing thing because it's, there's, he was having a tougher time getting deep into games early on in the season because of that, that pitch efficiency. And here you see what he's able to do when he's attacking the strike zone. Now, Jerry, were you superstitious at all as you were watching the final three innings? Did you not move positions in your chair? Take, take us back to what you were like mentally over those final, I guess, nine outs of the game. Well, occasionally being a superstitious fellow, I, I, I walked up and I, I sat in the, the offices. I, I flipped on the monitor and, and sure enough, that was the inning where, where Kyle Seeger made a phenomenal play going toward the line to uh, to preserve the no-hitter. And, and what was really, I think, a 99% chance to be a hit. I didn't look at the stat cast info on that one, but it had to be a high number. And Kyle made a, a fantastic play. And, and my first thought was go back to the seats, don't mess with a good thing. And uh, But... I, I weathered the storm. I sat and I, I watched it and, and uh, it kept in the back of my mind, if, if he blows this, this is your fault. Stupid. <laughs> now, have you had a chance to speak to James over the phone since the no-hitter? No, I shot him a text after it was over. And, you know, he's not surprisingly, he did not shoot me one back until the following morning. But uh, it, I'm sure, it, especially with all that surrounded this particular no-hitter, the, the fact that, that he did it in Canada as, as a Canadian, which is the first time that's ever happened, which is awesome, uh, that he did it in front of a crowd that seemingly, let's call it, got behind him and something along the lines of Rocky Five with Yvonne Drago and Sylvester Stallone. He had the, the country rooting for him, which I thought was also a, a really cool element here. 
and so many friends blowing them up and a, and a team wanting to, to celebrate that moment. Cause they really do think in, in as much that in no hitters are individual accomplishments, you know, it's, it's a team occurrence. And, and this time, and James alluded to it more eloquently than anyone, this was a, a team effort. And, and I, I thought it was awesome. And then sure enough, he popped me back a text the next morning. That's how, how cool a moment it was. And, and, uh, and we're all very happy for him. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because the interviews from the clubhouse afterwards, specifically with Mike Zanino and Kyle Seeger, two guys that obviously have been teammates with James for a long time, and Mike, uh, very close to teammate, just in a working relationship side of things. I mean, Jerry, Kyle was almost uh, welling up a little bit, just talking about how happy he was for James. And to a man, everyone kind of had the same line, and that is it could not have happened to a better guy. Uh, can you kind of take us... Uh, through your eyes, what it's like observing James uh, since you've come to the Mariners, both uh, not so much on the mound, but behind the scenes, his work ethic, and then obviously as you've gotten to know him as a person. I mean, Canadians are supposed to be nice people, and I guess it makes sense that James is from Canada because he's about as good of a guy as you could possibly run into in this game. He really is, and I, I, I think we, we had the chance uh, very early on in my time with the Mariners to, to have dinner with James, and, and my wife said to me, what a nice guy. I, and I, I trust her uh, ability to judge character. I hope <laughs> uh, she, she selected me. But the at the end of the day, uh, such a he a wonderful person, incredibly humble. Uh, there's there are a few guys as talented as James who are also as humble as James, and and for him to do what he's done over the course of the last three seasons, and and he has always worked hard. He has always applied himself. He has always had a desire to achieve what he can achieve and I, and I don't know that James understood what that was three years ago and you know a simple change in an arm spot some tweaks to a delivery along the way no one has been more attentive to what they're putting into their body and for as far as nutrition what they're asking of their body in, in terms of time in the weight room time in the in the training room and and time going through maybe more creative ways of of adapting to you know this new high performance uh, time that, that we're playing in you know James is is as prepared as anyone and that goes right through studying the opponent understanding who he's going to pitch against every day and, and it really does a, a fantastic job is, is thorough in, in what he's doing and treats his teammates as well as any teammate that you'll ever see and 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 I think that's why these guys care so much in that moment, because they know how much he roots for them. They must know how much he puts into this. And frankly, they know how much we need him. And, you know, he's a, he's a very critical player on our roster because of what you saw these last couple of outings. He, he can make, he can make two and two stretches into 60%, you know, the 60% wins by winning the third out of five games, if that makes sense. And, that kind of, to me, that defines what your ace does is, you know, you play every five game set and like this last five game stretch, we, we come out two and two, and then it's up to your ace to determine whether you're going to be at a game above or a game below. And over the course of the season, over every five game stretch, that is a huge thing. It, it adds up very quickly. And, and here we've seen James really take it to another level this last handful of starts. 
Well, we'll be able to see him pitch once again at the end of this road trip on Sunday in Detroit. Looking forward to that. See what he, what could he possibly do to top his last two starts. And I think uh, something you mentioned the defense earlier. Mike and I were talking about this last night. And Jerry, let's see if you agree with what Mike and I were saying. Uh, first of all, the best sneaky humor on the team, I think hands down, is Kyle Seager. Because Kyle, when you see him interviewed a lot of the times, is a pretty mellow a pretty calm guy, but uh, you get him in the right environment, especially with his teammates, and he's got uh, as good a snark, and I mean that in the most complimentary way, of anybody maybe on the team. And did you hear, did you read possibly that after Seager made that incredible play that you had referenced to get Pilarda in the seventh inning, that is he was running past the mound, and of course gives a fist bump with the glove to James Paxson, he just simply said, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is awesome. And, and, and Kyle Seager, he's, uh, you know, as you, he is, Kyle is, he's dry, he's witty. And, you know, sometimes you think that he's, he's got this, this satchel of, of wry, you know, quick witted comments to throw at you for every occasion. You know, there's that he's, he's a pretty sharp guy. He comes up with something that, that generally makes you smile or, or, or look at him. And usually delivers it in a deadpan or or just empty-eyed way that makes makes it quite funny. And you know, this group of players in general, they these guys get along. They like each other. They enjoy playing together. And I think as a result, you see that kind of passion on the field. The, they're having fun while they're doing it, and and they show up and they play hard every day, which is why I think you've seen such a, a degree of resiliency from this club. You know, not to wax too poetically about the no-hitter, but after all, it was a no-hitter, the sixth in franchise history, the fifth done by an individual as opposed to a team no-hitter. But, you know, Jerry, when moments like this happen, one of my favorite things to think about is how will we talk about this no-hitter in 20 years from now, right? What will we remember the most? And to me, it's kind of like, what can you deposit in that memory bank to hold on to that you can't find in the box score? Because anybody can go on Baseball Reference, can go through their scorebook, can see who he retired and which innings. But what are the what are the little things that don't show up in the box score? And to me, we mentioned the comment for Kyle. I'm going to hopefully hold on to that for a long time. But the other one, Jerry, a new guy that you went out and got during this winter time that we were seeing really come into his own over the last, let's call it two weeks. Man, Ryan Healy, Jerry, his facial expressions. I mean, there is not a better hype man on the team than Ryan Healy, on that throw from Kyle Seager over to Healy that, I mean, it hit him right in the chest in the seventh inning. And, of course, it was Healy who put the squeeze on the final throw to end the ball game. I mean, the excitement level, we talk all the time about D. Gordon for good reason. But Ryan Healy appears to me to be a guy who is just absolutely infectious and kind of has almost a college-like enthusiasm to him. He's been just a lot of fun to observe, not only at the plate, but just kind of his overall emotions and what he's brought to the team so far this year. Ryan Healy, a.k.a. Scoop. Uh, <laughs> that is a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you referenced almost a college-like uh, energy. When we, were, when we were looking into acquiring Ryan and, and going through our scouting reports, going through visiting with our, our people, the, the total eval on the player, and then doing background information on the person. It's very important to us when we're adding a player to really know what we're putting in or what we're injecting into our clubhouse environment. And that word, you know, collegiate, was, was used a lot. That is, that he had almost a, a, a college-type mentality, very, 
very upbeat, very energetic, always rooting for a teammate. And, you know, I think that's uh, it, it's it's very uncommon among major league players who tend to to play a little more evenly over the course of 162. When you're going good, that kind of emotion can really carry you. When you're going bad, that kind of emotion can get in the way. And here in a very short while, just six weeks into the season, we've seen Ryan Healy go really good, and we've seen him go bad. You know, right out of the shoot, it was not a great first 10 days. And we saw him weather that, and the, and the personality didn't change. And even though he was pressing and he wasn't hitting early, he remained upbeat. He had the great facial expressions, and, and he did play outstanding defense from the, from the word go. And now that the bat has come alive and he's doing so many positive things on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I'll even go three ways that he, he took a first to third in that angel series that, that I didn't know if I was watching Ryan Healy or D Gordon. <laughs> and I mentioned it <laughs> You know, I said, I didn't know you had that in you. And, and he said, Oh, I might not get there fast, but I'm going to get there. And, you know, he's, he plays hard and he has been a great addition to the team. And I, and I think in, and I see team, he's, every team needs bonding agents and, you know, in a clubhouse environment, D brings energy and, and keeps everybody up. And, and nobody cares about team more than these guys, more than Pat, more than Gordon, more than Healy. And, you know, Mitch Hanniger, Robinson Cano, these guys have done an unbelievable job of, of really creating. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Nelson in that group, because it's, it's, it's phenomenal how this group has come together so quickly. And, and, I think some of that is that there aren't a, a huge volume of new faces. You know, we've, we've methodically recreated this roster over the last three years. And I think this group fits together. We, we are going to need to figure out how to extend our pitching staff a little bit, but I really like the way this group of 25 players fits together. Well, we're going to dovetail on that in just a little bit, talking about that incredible come-from-behind win against the Angels. But I, I do have one last question for you on the no-hitter, really no-hitters in general. We talked about uh, being, as Michael Scott would say, not superstitious but a little stitious about uh, when you were watching it. But I, I'm curious, do you get irked when people say no-hitter? Like Mike and I, for I'll, my opinion on it is I, I think it's utterly ridiculous when people – bag on a broadcaster funny how i would have an opinion on this uh for saying the word no hitter uh, as if there's anything that a guy with a headset on can do about it however um i will and i did just appease to those loonies out there and will say anything but a no hitter i feel like that's a good compromise right so paxton has not allowed a hit through seven innings for example um but mike and i had fun kind of tiptoeing around right the only men to reach so far, three walks or whatever it was. Um, I mean, how do you feel if you hear someone actually say the word no hitter as a former big league pitcher? Do you just kind of cringe a little bit? No, I too think it's ridiculous. And and I say this and in the world of hypocrisy, as soon as you say something on the air and then a, a hit occurs, I'm going to go, oh, nice job, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I know how I know how ridiculous it sounds, and, and and then I would be the first one when I'm sitting at home watching a game with my wife to make a comment about it. But I say it tongue in cheek, and and we all have fun with it. Some guys take superstition to to an extreme level. For me, I understand that that it's a part of it. I will say no hitter. I will say this guy's allowed no hit. And 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 frankly, I think that's it's 
it's part of the excitement of the game as it starts to build and, and you want to talk about it. You don't want to sit there on your hands. You want to enjoy it and, and share it with the people around you. And, and I think most of the, the pitchers even who are involved in that moment, the reason that they're in the sixth and seventh and eighth innings of, of, of games like that with no hitters is because they're so focused. And I'm fairly certain that nobody's going to utter a word around them that's going to break that focus. And, and, and if it does, then they're probably going to lose it anyway. Yeah, I kind of always go back to the fact that, you know, Vince Scully has called, I mean, like seriously, Jerry, Vince Scully's called like 10% of the no hitters in the history of baseball. <laughs> and, and he said the it's words, remarkable. Yeah, and, and he has said the words no hitter. I, I want to say I'm like positive in all of them, and yet 20 whatever that he called uh, actually still happened. But that is, after all, Vince Scully, and none of us are quite like Mr. Scully. But nonetheless, uh, we had fun dancing around the topic while still saying exactly what was going on. So we found that pretty enjoyable. Well, uh, hey, you've been talking about kind of the chemistry and the camaraderie on this team. And my goodness, Jerry, that's something that uh, – I, th- I think even the kind of the casual fan picked up on that fairly early this year. But I'd love to go back with you to that just incredible walk-off when it was Saturday night at Safeco Field against the Angels. It was the middle game of that series. And just a back-and-forth, back-and-forth game. The Mariners eventually would win in the bottom of the 11th inning. Zanino had the big home run, as many people remember, that had a hang time, Jerry, of about 13 seconds uh, to get out of the ballpark. Uh, but I mean, when, when you're watching a game like that, the Mariners fall behind uh, early in that game. Uh, I say early, it really was in the, the back half of the game, to be honest. I, I mean, are, how struck are you by kind of this almost mentality of, I mean, it's, it's cliche, and I'd like to avoid that, but this this will to win, we won't give up. But it seems like because of, as you were describing, just the overall character of this team, it seems like that comes easier to a team like this than maybe to some others. I think that's right. And, you know, every team has its own personality, its own style. We play a little bit different than the other teams in the league. I think we are, we are, we have power, but we're not built around power. We have, uh, we're uh, frankly, six of our nine hitters, perhaps seven have a chance to hit 20 plus homers. And, and, but I think we're built around the idea of putting the ball in play, playing high energy and, and moving the game, running the bases hard, stealing bases, creating action, you know, from, from nine to two in the lineup, you know, setting it up for those guys in the middle. I, we, we had a, 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 an idea of what we wanted to play like, and, and this team plays just like that idea. That doesn't happen very often, and, and that's been really rewarding. But we've, we've also been really particular about the, the way we've gone about selecting the people to put in the clubhouse. And, and frankly, sometimes we've gotten really lucky where, where we thought we were getting something and we got so much more. And, and that, is, that is what you're seeing with this team is, is that it came together very quickly because the, the people in that room are they're different. And, and, and I think that makes us unique. Uh, I, I know that makes us a very enjoyable team to be around. And I think an exciting team to watch. We may not be the best team in the American league, but we believe we're one of them. And as this season goes along, you can win a lot of games because the 25 guys in that room trust each other. And because the manager and the staff believe in the 25 guys in that room. And, and when there's that kind of, of, of sync or synergy, with that that group you can do a lot of things I, I, you can move mountains somebody once said and 
I think that's true without being too hokey that, that you can, you can overcome flaws and we have flaws. You can overcome flaws just simply by believing. And, and they, this, this group does. And, and I don't think there was ever a more representative case of that than Saturday night. It was, it was one of the, the coolest wins since I've been here uh, because it was so back and forth and, and it was a, a character building win. We call it the gut check time where we really stood up and it, what I what I'll remember about that win is two things. One, when Mike Zanino hit his home run, I, my natural reaction sitting there, I believe, shoving some kind of trail mix in my mouth as it went up in the air, was turning around to to Roger Hansen and, and in my best in my best impression voice, as if we were watching Major League back in the early '90s. I, I said, uh, "Ah, it's too high. It's too high." And it 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 did. It was not too high. Clearly, too far enough. <laughs> Like great power, but and 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 after that game was over, John Stanton stopping by and and saying, you know, what a wonderful win. And my my thought and what I shared with John at the time was that if if you bought a ticket to that game and you walked away not having been entertained by both teams, you know, the Angels play an awesome game, but if you walked away not having been entertained by how hard that team fights and the the unique skills of some of our players. It was uh, then. Then you probably aren't much of a baseball fan, or even just enjoy a night out because that was that was just awesome and energizing. Yeah, that was about as good as it comes. And we were saying, even once that one was over with, we we very likely will not see a game that entertaining the rest of the season. And then, of course, like four days later, James Paxton throws a no hitter, but entertaining in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, I, you know, I love well, now, it. Aaron, let me interrupt you there. I, I don't want to be too superstitious here, but if you'd like to make another prophetic comment about an <laughs> upcoming game today, starting tonight or anytime this weekend, I'm all for it. I do I do feel pretty good about James's start coming up on Sunday. We we uh, did address that the other day. Uh, you know, I, hey, I love your I love the it's not a line, I mean, it's the truth. I love your statement about the, uh, this is a team that has power but is not built around power or does not rely on the power uh, like we've seen. And that kind of leads me to the walks and the strikeouts this year by Mariners hitters. Because I'm curious your take on a part of me, when I look at the strikeout numbers in total this year for the Mariners, and a last look, Jerry, when I looked at them yesterday, I mean, the Mariners were 29th in baseball in strikeouts, meaning only one team has fewer strikeouts in the majors than the Mariners. My first thought was, well, hey, this is, I mean, Jerry's got to love this, right? After all, this was kind of the original mantra of controlling the strike zone. Uh, but kind of thinking just below the surface a little bit, are you are you okay with the trade-off with what we've seen so far this year? And we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, the Mariners aren't striking out hardly at all, but they also have essentially one of the very lowest walk rates in the game. But you have guys on this lineup each night that they get on base uh, with hits as opposed to walks. Are you o- okay with the overall approach to what you've seen so far from the Mariners in that regard? Yes. And I, and I think there's, if we were 15 and 20, I might have a different answer than that, <laughs> but the, you know, at the end of the day, we understood with this team that we were not going to achieve a high walk rate. That's just, it's not in the DNA of D Gordon. It's not in the DNA of Gene Segura. It's not in the DNA of Ryan Healy. And you know, the, those guys go up there, they're hitters and they hit Ryan's got power. Gene kills the gaps. D's won a batting title. We trusted in their ability to hit and understood that that was going to result in them being on base and us scoring runs. And, and in the cases of Gordon and Segura, the fact that they run the bases so well really enhances or, or, or 
substitutes for for a, a two or a four percent increase in walk rate. But as it works out, controlling the strike zone, and I think you and I have had this conversation before. We have a different way of looking at it. When we talk about controlling the strike zone, it is not a mantra that is about drawing a walk. It is it's about covering the strike zone. It's about it's about not giving away strikes and. And I don't think we give strikes away. We are we are probably more prone to swinging outside the zone than most teams in, in the big leagues right now. We also have a variety of what I would call Yogi Berra-esque bad ball hitters. <laughs> I mean, we've got <laughs> Dean Segura is, is as good a bad ball hitter as you're going to run into in the big leagues. But he can hit a ball that's not in the strike zone with authority. And, you know, D. Gordon is very similar. And when you have 80-grade run speed, and you put as many balls in play as, as D does, or frankly, you put as many, you know, a 60 grade run tool and you put as many balls in play as Dean does, it's going to, good things will happen. And as a result, they'll run a high Babbitt, but we control the strike zone by not issuing walks in, in a high volume as a pitching staff. And by offsetting that with strikeouts, oddly enough, our pitching staff this year, although flawed, we strike them out and we generally do a pretty good job of not walking them. And our hitters do a great job of putting the ball in play. And the trade-off is that we don't draw a ton of walks, but in, in what we talk about, we, we count a C to Z or, or a control the zone plus minus number. We want that number to be positive. And if that number is positive, we are going to be a good team. And right now we are, we are trending at a higher rate than we have at any point since I've been here. And we were we were in the well into the positive in 2016, and, and we're well ahead of that pace right now. And and I think it's because the combination of events in those four categories hides the flaw in our inability to draw walks at as high rate as you'd like to see. And with that statement, Jerry, are you essentially referring to like a run differential only for strikeouts and walks? Yeah, you know, the way we do it, we we have, and this has been something that, that I've adhered to since I first learned it when we were I was back with the Red Sox. And and uh, you know, we, we, we look at, at hitter walks and, and pitcher walks, hitter strikeouts and pitcher strikeouts, and effectively it's a give and take. If if you if you don't strike out as a lineup, but you do strike them out as a pitching staff. And the as a result of the not striking out as hitters, you're not walking as much, then the way you balance that out is you don't walk them. And, you know, and that's something we've generally, you know, with a couple of hiccups along the way, we've generally been very good in that category, not issuing free passes. And we have a sneaky high strikeout rate for a, as a pitching staff. I, I think only the Yankees Astros are, are better in the, in the American league. It's, and maybe the Red Sox at, uh, at striking them out. And, and uh, we, we don't have household names, but they do run strikeout rates. And we do a really good job of controlling the strike zone by focusing on those four elements instead of getting hung up on just one of them. We don't want to be that myopic. We want to be a little bit more broad in our, in our vision. That's really interesting, the stuff about uh, with the Red Sox. I had not heard of that approach. That's something uh, I think a lot of fans will probably be uh, digging and looking into as well. All right, Jerry, uh, hey, enough about, enough about the Mariners. Let's let's talk about the Travs. What's happening in Little Rock while you've been there? How are things going? And in, in, I guess it's now it's North Little Rock. Is, am I getting that in my directions right there? They're very they're very touchy about that in Little Rock. I hear. 
Well, I am actually, I'm, I'm sitting in my hotel room right now, looking over the river, uh, just into the ballpark, little, I would say a little longer than your, your standard Mike Zanino drive to right center. And, uh, but it stands, what stands between us is a pretty fair sized river <laughs> and a beautiful day. The Travs did not have a great day on James Paxton night. Probably I, I blame myself for leaving and going and watching on the monitor, but uh, there's, they did not have a great night tonight. We've got, uh, we've got the Springfield Cardinals coming in. Uh, we are currently in third place. The, the Cardinals are in first and we've got Andrew Moore teaming it up tonight. Who's off to a great start. And, you know, Andrew last year moved through three levels, uh, a second round pick flew through the minor league system, still just 24 years old or playing his 24 year old season. And, you know, he, we, we ran him to the big leagues last year at some, in some part because his performance demanded it. And in some part, because frankly, he needed it. And, you know, we, we took the early part of 2018 to allow him to reset and it has proven to be a really good decision. And he's been great so far in the Texas league. He will tee it up tonight. I will also see Dan Altavilla who will make a, a rehab outing in advance of what we hope is a, a fairly quick uh, return to the major league roster. And some of the other guys here that have, have performed really well. Uh, we've got uh, Matt Festa, who I'm hoping to see at some point in these next couple of days, is uh, is striking him out at an Edwin Diaz type clip, uh, about 16 strikeouts per nine over over the course of the first month and a half here. And Chris Mariscal, who's very quietly over the last two years really done a nice job, 14th round pick out of Fresno a handful of years ago, and and methodically making his, his track. And he's done a very good job of controlling the strike zone and plays all the positions, has a chance to turn out to be a, a, a very valuable utility player moving forward. And Jerry, for a man in your position as a general manager, what's kind of the, the hope of the gain of a trip like this? Because, I and mean, let's face it, especially with technology being, being what it is today, a general manager could easily never make a trip to, in this case, Little Rock and go watch his double-A affiliate play in person. What do you get out of being there, feet on the ground? You know, first, the people. You, you, get, to, you get a sense for the people from, from your affiliates. You know, the group here, Russ Meeks, Rusty Meeks, Paul Allen, the people who run the Arkansas Travelers, they, it's a, they do a great job. I've been associated with them for a lot of years. And, and people require time and, and personal touch and, and just make sure that they know that they're part of the Mariners family. And, and when we come here, our front office, our traveling player development people and scouts, you know, I want them to feel that way, that, that we're all in it together. And that's a, it's a fun element. And, and I think that's important. I also think it's important that you get the, the up close and personal to the degree you can with, with, your minor league staffs to talk to talk with Darren Brown about what he's seeing from these guys. How close is Andrew Moore to a return to the big league? What kind of progress are we making with some of our young players? You know, why has Braden Bishop struggled the way he has early on? Cause we think so much of him as a prospect and, and then to get insights from Roy Howell as to how they're going to try to turn it around and, and, and to see in the players' faces in their eyes the, the way the season is going for them, the confidence that they may have as they stand out there, it's, it means something. And I, and I think it means something to the 25 players when, when you show up. And by, by you, I mean me. <laughs> when, when, I, when I show up, I'm sitting, I'm sitting back there, and they know, they, they know that I came. You know, it's a, it, I can probably get to, to Tokyo, 
quicker than I can get to Little Rock from Seattle. And, and uh, it, it, it's that, that being said, it is an, it's an awesome town in a, in a really cool part of Little Rock with a great ballpark. And, and frankly, you want to know there are, there are a handful of players on this team, on this travelers team that are going to play in the big leagues. Guys like Matt Festa and Art Warren and Andrew Moore, Chase DeYoung's already been there. Chris Mariscal, maybe one of those guys, Braden Bishop. And, and when they get to the big leagues, I want to know who they are and I want them to know who I am as best I can. And, and I know I can only get here for a couple of days a year, but I think they're important a couple of days. You know, I haven't been to a minor league game uh, in forever. I went to a Cape Cod baseball league game uh, during the all-star break a couple of years ago. My, my wife's parents live on the Cape and we were there for a few days. Uh, but man, what's it like to get back to a minor league ballpark, Jerry? I can only imagine I mean, we are so spoiled by the grandeur of Safeco Field and, of course, other ballparks around the majors and kind of all the glitz and the glitter. And although minor league ballparks and the ones that they have there uh, in Little Rock is a beautiful little gym, but still it's on such a smaller scale, of course, and you're looking at guys who are just busting their humps, trying to do everything they can to get up to the show. I mean, what's it like for you to kind of get back to, I mean, hey, your your original roots as a player in the minor leagues and see see the faces on these kids who... Uh, are just wanting to get a taste of what it's like uh, just down the street, uh, a couple of notches up the ladder in the big leagues. I, I love it. it. It's it's you know this and the draft. You know as we as we prepare for the June draft are two of my favorite things that 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 I get to do every year. I love coming back to the minor league and and having the chance to to reconnect. There's there's a purity to it that the the players the players are out there. They're grinding every day you know in almost every instance that that player is giving you every ha- everything he has that day because he sees what, what's ahead. And, and they want to get there. I, there's, I could probably do with a more elaborate post-game spread. But, <laughs> small complaint, small complaint. Uh, you know, after, after 25 years around the big leagues, it is, uh, it, is, it is very much different in some regards, but it's still baseball. And you know, the thing I like the most, and and having spent the, the day yesterday with the Meeks family, and 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 talking about how much I enjoyed Little Rock, and, and in particular, and, and being here, I love the fact that you're sitting and you watch the game, and there's going to be two dozen people who come up and introduce themselves and sit down, and uh, they'll sit down and they'll talk to you about the Mariners, they'll talk to you about the wheelhouse, multiple people sitting down in Little Rock, Arkansas, talking about this, this little podcast of ours. And uh, really cool to see people in Little Rock, Arkansas, coming into a ballpark wearing Mariners jerseys. I, it's uh, to have that kind of, that kind of uh, appeal or connection in a smaller community that really is connecting with a, with a town that's that for, for, for many of the people in Little Rock, they'll never see Seattle, but, but they root for the Mariners because they know a lot of these players. Some have already been there and some are going to make a difference over the next decade for, for our club. And that there's a special bond between a minor league city, a minor league team and the players that they produce that produces Mariner fans that will always be Mariner fans. No, that, that is, that's terrific. That's just the kind of romance that comes along with minor league baseball. And, you know, Jerry, if it'd be helpful to you, I'm, I'm happy to give you a couple of dozen autographed glossy eight by tens that you can take with you. And when, when people approach you, you know, in this case, in Little Rock about the wheelhouse, you can you can hand a couple out. Normally, I charge for that type of thing, but you know, for the good people of Little Rock, it's on the house. If if you if you think if you think that it would be helpful, we're just trying to build the brand here. You know what I mean? 
I think did the eight by tens show a picture of you, perhaps in a black blazer with an ascot, with a caressing a microphone over the top of it, say wheelhouse available on iTunes. I think that's exactly what it is, Jerry. It's like you've seen this photo before. Well, yeah, my I'm, love. <laughs> <laughs> well, this leads us right into some, into some reader questions uh, from Little Rock to Rochester, New York. A good little baseball community there, Rochester Red Wings. So. Uh, yeah, uh, this is Jonathan, and first of all, he starts off by saying how much he really appreciates the show, especially the insights on the pitching staff and a lot of the behind-the-scenes looks that you've already given us here in this podcast as well, behind uh, Major League Life. Uh, he wants to know, this is a food question, Jerry, do you have an all-time favorite food TV show? And do you like more of the competitive shows, right, like Chopped or Iron Chef? Do you perform more, more of the uh, educational shows? Maybe even go PBS style, America's Test Kitchen, Bowtie Guy. Uh, what, what, what kind of, which way are you leaning on this one? I like the competitive shows, but I, I lean toward my favorites are the competitive shows where you actually learn how to put foods together. What, what types of food might go better together? When, and particularly, I love Chopped. There's, you get great chefs who are cooking fast and they're talking to you while they're doing it, what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. Uh, the, the Iron Chef and Iron Chef America, Iron Chef Gauntlet is awesome. That's pure competition. Frankly, when I first started watching it, they move so fast that it's hard to keep up with. Uh, and they're they're so good at what they do that that I, I feel like that is that is to cooking the big leagues to you know perhaps when I was playing in little league <laughs> uh, in, in terms of my own skill level. But I think the the uh, the beat Bobby Flays. It, it might not be quite as educational for me, but uh, I love the personalities and and uh, and the competition is is awesome. I like those and and I, and I think the 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 food the food scene the competition is cool. But learning how to do something that I don't know how to do or 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 turning me on to a style of food that I've not really uh, tried a lot. It's that's the value in watching it. Speaking of which, Aaron. Uh, here in Little Rock, Arkansas, yesterday, uh, president of the Travs picked me up. We went to a to a late lunch and ate at a, at a place that was on my hit list, a cafe by the name of the Whole Hog. And yes, indeed, I did try to take down the Whole Hog. It was it was, it was quite quite nice. So t- tell tell me more about this pig. This this seems intriguing. The 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 pig itself was I would say I went with the Whole Hog platter. It was it was ribs, it was brisket, it was pulled pork, uh, and uh, I, I will say that it was far more than any one person could sit there <laughs> and throw back in one sitting. <laughs> but uh, it was it was on my hit list of, of places that I wanted to go while in Little Rock. And when I when I made that request of the Travs president and asked him if if uh, if that was something we could do midday yesterday, he said, "Well, of course." Now, I took pictures of the of the platter and of all the trophies that they've won for for worldwide barbecue excellence to 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 provide for you when I get back to Seattle. Well, that, I I like your headset. Is this a triple D place, or did you just hear about this somehow on Yelp or whatever else? No, it was actually on the on Food Network, and it was on I believe the it was on the the episodes of my the the, the my favorite. The, the, My favorite thing, the best thing I ever ate. Yes, yeah, the best I ever ate, and uh, it's it was the 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 
pork ribs were specifically identified. And, and I will throw my thumbs up that, that while I'm not a, a big barbecue connoisseur, this stood out as, as some of the, the, the coolest barbecue I've had. And it was, it was just like you'd think the whole hog cafe would look and the food was awesome. <laughs> well, there's quite the uh, Razorback influence around that, those neck of the woods as well. So I'm, I'm glad you're able to get that. And I, I am looking forward to some pictures because after all, the Mariners do return home. We'll be home on Tuesday. Take a look around the horn. What's coming up for the Mariners. Uh, Rangers will be in town. It'll be a Mariners value game presented by BECU. So view and bleach receipts for $15 main and club for just 30. Got a Wednesday day game midweek, 1240 Mariners matinee. That will, by the way, uh, for those who consume Mariners baseball on the television, that will be a Facebook game. Uh, Facebook has exclusive rights to a handful of games around the majors this year. So that game will not be on Root Sports. It will be on Facebook, however. Thursday is another Mariners value game. And then, uh, you know, Jerry, we're excited for this one. Friday, we will be celebrating James Paxton's no-hitter. James will be making his first start back at Safeco Field since the no-no. And uh, let's see, $10 select view level seats, main and club level seats for only 30 bucks. Mariners.com slash Paxton. Uh, Jerry, any chance we'll be seeing uh, at some point in this homestand some type of presentation for James? I mean, will there be a formal handshake with a, a plaque of some kind? I have a feeling that there's got to be something coming for James in that category. I believe it is almost a layup that you'll see that early <laughs> on in the, in the homestand. <laughs> and, uh, and I will be glad to make that presentation while, while donning my James Paxton fanny pack, which is clearly <laughs> the reason why all this is happening. Now, you know, we have not discussed that angle, but I am happy to hear that you, I mean, you're the general manager after all. You, do, you did get a fanny pack, a James Paxton fanny pack? I, I got a fanny pack, and I, and I visited with Grant Green, the, 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 the good Grant Green of our, of our marketing group, and I asked, I don't want to be that guy, but can I get a couple of extra fanny packs? And he informed me that it was the, it was the most in-demand giveaway that we have had in, among our front office people, in-demand uh, requests that they've had since, since giving these items away. So I, had to, I, I, I didn't want to be that guy to take everybody's, take, take everybody's joy, but I wanted to snap up a couple of those fanny packs to share with, with the Poto family because everybody should have a James Paxton fanny pack. Well, I look forward to imagining you at the Little Rock Airport with your wallet and cell phone inside the fanny pack. And when you go through TSA, you just a simple unclip, throw that in the plastic bin, walk right through the security, and then slap that baby back on. I think that's a good look for you. Uh, on uh, on Saturday, we'll be having the Felix uh, Infield Grass Bobblehead Day, and then on uh, Sunday, Little League Day and Second Chance Mother's Day for 10,000 Moms Take Home the Mariner's Tote, uh, which is good stuff, and all kids 14 and under the Gene Segura wristbands. Well, Jerry, we've uh, this has been jam-packed, and man, it has been so much fun talking to you, especially about Paxton's no-hitter. Uh, really, really fun, and uh, excited to see what we might be talking about on our next podcast uh, when the Mariners return home. So enjoy uh, the rest of your stay in Little Rock, Jerry. We are uh, off to Detroit from here after tonight's game in Toronto, and I look forward to seeing you face-to-face next time. I can't wait. Thanks, Aaron.